Let's do that right now.
Yeah, well, I, I offered to let him do it tonight, okay? <laughs> but, uh, no, I do appreciate you, Larry. And, and the, the thing they really liked was being able to sit down. So, before we do this next song, y'all sit down. What? You can't sing sitting down? Okay, well, y'all stand back up. What? Okay. Tell me the story of Jesus, a song we've known all of our lives. Let's, let's sing that.
Okay, y'all can't sing sitting down. It's not working. I tried. I tried. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. we just thank you so much that you love us. God, we know we're not deserving. We know, Father, that it's only by your grace, through Christ Jesus, that you love us, that you're able to love us. And uh, we just thank you for that. Thank you for the salvation we have through him. We thank you, Lord, for the love that uh, you show us each day and each moment that we live. Lord, I just thank you tonight for uh, all these folks that are here. I pray, God, for our service. I pray for Brother Scott as he comes. Pray, Lord, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit. 
give him the words, Lord, that we need to hear so badly. God, I just thank you again for your goodness and grace and your mercy. Thank you most of all for Jesus, and I pray in his name. Amen. Mike, I thought we were going to sing What a Friend of Jesus. What a Friend of Jesus. Do you know that? No, but that's what the fourth song. The fourth song. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. We didn't sing that. All right, good. Good evening. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 1. Have, have you ever read the book of James? I find myself every couple of years just drawn back to the book of James, to, to read the book of James and spend time studying it. And I probably do it, I don't know, with regularity every, every few years, just dive in deep to the book of James. It's such a practical book. Um, it's, it's, just, it's like it's as practical and new as, as opening up the morning's newspaper and reading the current events of the day. When you read the book of James, and it, it challenges us, and, and its challenges are not dated to something sometime in history, but they're, they're right there with us today. And uh, James is, a, is just a, a practical book. So I want to take uh, some weeks, and, and I don't know how long. I, I've preached through James before, and uh, I, I love the book of James, but I just want to go back through it fresh and anew and, and dive into its practicality for our life. And, and it, it lends for us to have kind of a, a, an introduction, a kind of a welcome message as we walk into the book. So as you turn to James uh, chapter 1, I'll ask you to stand with me and let's read together beginning in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For the man, that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a doubly, or double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Father, for the privilege to, to come together tonight and, and to study your word. Lord, fill our hearts with your presence, fill our hearts with praise for you, and fill our hearts, God, with the word that will lead us to be all that you've called us to be, that would uh, energize us and direct us to, to seek you with a fervency, God, that is unparalleled to anything in the past. God, just uh, drive us to your word and in deeper relationship with you. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, this book was written uh, by the half-brother of Jesus, and it was written from Jerusalem, and, and he was uh, pastoring there and serving the church of Jerusalem, and, and he wrote this book, and he wrote it to 
uh, as we see the 12 tribes. So we, we see a couple of portraits when we just start out. I, I love portraits. I love what they uh, just uh, to see how they are so detailed and, and how they bring out so much truth and, uh, of, of who a person is. And the portrait that uh, James is, is writing and, and revealing to us what is revealed in his writing from the very beginning is the portrait of a servant. We see that James lists himself, he calls out himself as a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word, and you, you've heard me say before probably, but that word, it just always when I read the, the phrase, of when Paul used it, when James uses it, it means so much when he says, I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a bond slave of Christ, one who who has decided, uh, though he could be free and, and could go in any direction he should wish to go, the bond servant is one who says, absolutely, I, I do not want to be a servant of anyone. I do not want to be free in any regard. I want to be a, a servant only to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to yield my entire life, give myself completely to the service of God. So James, by, by calling himself that, he, he's identifying with his, his desire to be completely and fully sold out to Jesus. That's a statement that not everybody can make. It, it's a conscious place we come to in our life where we have to say, you know, I'm willing to give up and, and let go of all of the things in the past that I have attained and, and, and could hold on to, but I'm willing to say, you know, I count it all loss. I count everything not worthy to have other than a relationship with Jesus. That's the most important thing. And, and James being the half-brother of Jesus, of course he had a, a, an earthly father and an earthly mother, and, and Jesus having an earthly mother and, and, and being the immaculate conception of which he was. So we have the perfection of Christ, and, and he had brothers and sisters, and, and he, he knew them and he related to them. James, when, when Jesus was on the earth living, James had a lot of doubts about who Jesus was and what he truly called himself to be. Being that he would say, I'm the, I'm the uh, son of God, the, I am fully God, and, and uh, I was in the beginning, and, and here I am now. And, and James struggled with all that until the resurrection of Jesus. And at the resurrection of Jesus, James recognized who Jesus truly was. And I, I'm sure he was like, oh, wow, my brother, wow, wow. I mean, what kid ever expects their sibling to turn out like this, you know? And, and here, Jesus is my, my brother, and I'm the half-brother of Jesus. He recognizes that, and he, he goes full in, and, and he says, you know what? I'd give my entire life, I'd give every aspect. I'm, I'm freely saying I want him to be my Lord. So James calls himself the, a bondservant of God. It's a position of complete obedience, utter humility, and unshakable loyalty. I just want to think about that. Complete obedience is, is saying that I will completely obey everything that God calls me to. James is saying, uh, unapologetically, I want to be obedient to God, not obedient to the, the world around me or myself, but I want to be obedient to God. I want to hear God's Word. I want to understand God's Word. I want to apply God's Word to my life. It's, 
If you were here this morning, it's what we were talking about this morning. It's, it's taking in, consuming God's Word, and letting it totally shape and mold your life to where you're not just a hearing, hearing or hearer of the Word as He goes into later in this chapter, but you're a doer of the Word, and you completely uh, surrender your life in obedience, full obedience to God. It's utter humility. It's like, I, I have nothing uh, apart from God. I, I, I'm, I'm humbled before Him. I recognize uh, His presence. I see uh, the power of God. I'm in awe of who God is. And I humble myself completely before God, recognizing the value of a relationship with Him. And it's that unshakable loyalty. It's that I'll stand with God and no matter what happens, no matter what comes my way, no matter who tries to take me in, in a different direction, I am loyal only to God. So we see that. We see that complete obedience, that utter humility, and, or the, the uh, complete humility, the, the utter humility, the unshakable loyalty that he has to God in that statement when he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, uh, he, he values Jesus, and I've said that. He, though he was his brother, he recognizes that he was his father in heaven. He, he is God in the flesh. And this was something unique and, and, and extraordinary and beyond probably even James, that's why he struggled with it so much, beyond his comprehension and, and ability to be able to really communicate how he could be brother and Lord. Um, but he surrendered in that, that understanding as he saw him in the resurrected state that he is truly Lord. He was a bondservant of not only God, but of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know if any of us ever truly achieved all that God's called us to until we recognize total surrender, complete abandonment of all of our ideals and dreams and aspirations, totally look away from who we are to see who He is and surrender our life completely to Him and say, God, I want to be nothing other than Your child. Everything else will be added to that. It's, it's that Matthew 6.33 where we see, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's that, that surrender of all of my life to God to say, you know, the first thing I want to seek in my life above all things is I want to seek God, His kingdom. I want to, I want to recognize His authority in my life. I want to come under that authority Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm not righteous. I recognize my, my unrighteousness. I recognize that I'm, I'm a man in want and in need of, of God in my life. And I, I know my righteousness is yet filthy rags before God. And, and we all come to that place where we say, you know, I need God. I need Him more than anything else in this world. And then, then it's that total abandonment where we say, I'll serve you with my life. Whatever you want, God, whatever you desire, uh, your dreams are better than mine. Uh, your, your will is much more important than mine. I, I sacrifice all my plans for you. And that's that abandonment of the person that we're no longer ours. It's, that, it's what I said this morning in Luke 9, 23 and 24. If anyone wishes to save his life, He'll lose it. But anyone who loses his life for God's sake, he'll save it. It's that 
is that if anyone wishes, it, it, Jesus says, you know, not, not, not everybody's going to wish to follow after me, but if anyone does wish to follow after me, he must deny himself, completely abandon himself, and follow after me. Take up a cross. That, that means I, I literally take up a death instrument that I, I would choose to die of my flesh, die of myself to live for him. And that, that's the bond-slave aspect that we see here in James as he's speaking to the people. He, says, he announces himself not as James, the half-brother of Jesus, but James, the bond-servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I really am surrendered to you. And this letter was written to the twelve tribes. The twelve tribes who were dispersed abroad, he says, greetings to them. And, and these are the 12 tribes that, referring to the Jewish Christians living outside of Palestine, they've been, they've been dispersed. And, and we've, we've got to ask, why were they dispersed? And if you don't know, I mean, it's really a good question to ask. Why were they dispersed? Well, they were dispersed because of their unyielding faith in God. They, they, were, they wouldn't yield to anybody else. They, they, though the pressure came on and, and they, were, they were called out and, and told not to follow Jesus, they said, uh, you, you can't take that away from me. Uh, I'll, I'll go wherever i got to go. I'll flee from whatever i got to flee from. You push me to the ends of this world. I'll never give up on my, my Jesus. And, and that's where they came to. And they, were, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't recant. They wouldn't walk away from that. So they were pushed out of, uh, out of Jerusalem and out of this, the, the, the region of Palestine they lived in. They were, they were spread out. They were, it was the gospel message being carried forth into all regions of the world. And, and what a beautiful experience that must have been to see, though it were hard. I mean, I wonder how many of us in this room tonight, when we were pushed, truly pushed, what, what, if, you were, what if you were told you, would have to be put, you were going to be pushed out? You could no longer work where you work. You could no longer live where you live. You could no longer do the things that you are used to doing and live for Jesus. Would you, would you settle and say, well, eh, maybe it's not that important to me? Or would you be willing to allow the pressures of this world to push you to the ends of the earth for your faith in Jesus? Or would you give up? These, uh, these faithful Christians were spread across the, the known area because they were faithful to Jesus. They would not back down in their faith. They, they, they gave up all of, the, all of what they knew in life, the comforts of life, and they, they spread out. But they carried forth the gospel. They didn't give up on who they were. They, they still were who they were. They claimed uh, Christ as their Lord and Savior unapologetically in the world. And the gospel message, the good news that Jesus saves, went into the world. So Paul, uh, so James, uh, James is writing to them. He's writing to these that have been dispersed. He's to the twelve tribes which now are, are moved out. He because they were faithful to God and wouldn't recant. They've been pushed away, and uh, he's speaking to them. So it's a, it's truly a, a portrait of a bond slave and and of of bond slaves of those who have said, you know, I will, I will stand for Christ and in total abandonment of who I am. I, will, I am now a Christian. I am fully Christ's child and I want to live completely for Him. Not only do we see the portrait of a bond slave in here, we see the portrait of faith. 
Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. True faith in God displays itself in several ways. And, and here we see that James calls out some of them. He says that, that true faith in God displays itself in joy. And true faith in God displays itself in trials. And true faith in God displays itself in the testing of faith, the tested faith. And true faith in God uh, displays itself in endurance and patience. So we, we see that as James is writing these words to these folks, he said, count it all joy, consider it all joy. You've been through a lot, folks. You, you've, you've walked this road and you've been, you've been pushed and, and persecuted for your faith, but, but consider it all joy. Don't, don't consider it a, a bummer and a, and a difficult situation. Nonetheless, count it all joy for what you've been through. And, and joy is, is God-oriented, not event-oriented. That's what joy is. Joy is not circumstantial on our, our situation, but it's settled on who God is in our life. We can have joy in our life and we have God in our life no matter what circumstance or situation, no matter what the world orients around us, but what God orients around us has, has convicted us and brought us to a place of love for Him, and, and that's where joy resides within us. The very worst in life, the very worst happening in life, you consider it all joy when you walk with Jesus. I remember I was in a, um, I was in a village one day. My wife and I were, we were in Mexico, and we were way back in the middle of nowhere. We had traveled a long, long ways. I think we rode about four hours that day. The road got from this wide to this wide to this wide we were just by the time we got there we were on a pig path and oh we were dodging potholes and and when i say potholes i'm not talking about potholes i'm talking about swallow our car kind of potholes and we were navigating those backwoods roads and and we got to this village of about eight thousand people in the middle of nowhere and i wouldn't have believed there was eight thousand people but now huts in the woods hide pretty good okay and there were people everywhere and uh, we, we came across this lady who had uh, gone to a, a, a local town in that country and had heard the gospel, and her husband and her had come back to the community, and they had preached the gospel in that community. And, and while they were uh, in that, living in that community, he died. Um, not, not long after they established a, a, a band of believers and a the, the church began to grow, and, and he died of a, a rare disease. And the leaders, the elders of the community, considered it to be a, a word of warning from their gods, that they, they were practicing a religion that was false, this Christianity must be false, and it's their gods speaking against them. So the, uh, the Christians, uh, some of them dispersed. And some of them gave up. Some of them stayed together. Just a few band of believers. And the, uh, the locals, those who were against the Christianity, this new faith that had been introduced into their community, they, they banded against those Christians. And they, they tried to burn the lady out after her husband died. She said she would not recant. She would 
continue to serve Jesus and continue to preach the gospel and continue to try to build the church. She would not back down. and they, So they tried to burn her out. They tried to beat her and, and convince her that she needed to give up on her faith. Uh, they, they tried all kinds of measures to get this lady to walk away from her faith. But she looked at me that day, and I'll never forget the look in her eyes when she said, I will never give up. I count it all joy. And I was like, wow. She counts this joy. It wasn't about her circumstance. It wasn't about the situation. She lost her husband. They were threatening her children. They'd burned her house. They were willing to, to beat her and try to convince her to walk away from her faith. And she counted it all joy. What a testimony. When it's not circumstantial, when, when the, the position you take of joy within your life is based on the God which lives inside of you instead of the events that are going on outside of you. What a beautiful picture of joy that was. We're going to have joys. Uh, we, we, we can have joy. Uh, we're going to have circumstances and situations that are bad, but we can have joy in all those, those situations and circumstances. Not only does, does James talk about joy, he talks about trials. There's tough times in our life, and we just, I just gave you an illustration of one, but people are going to try us. There's going to be trials. There's going to be testing of our faith, and, and that's going to happen in our life. And, and we never know how we're going to respond until we go through some trials. And, and in this, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So not just a trial. It would be really cool. I believe we'd all sign up for the, the Christian faith that only had one trial in it. But James says there's going to be various trials. There'll be many trials. There'll be numerous trials that we'll, we'll encounter in our life. And all of these trials are different because we're, we're all different. We're at different stages and places in our life. And God knows that we need to be tested. He knows that we need to be refined. We need to be uh, brought under some, some pressures that will help us grow in our faith. So they come in numbers of ways. My trial may be different than your trial. My timing of my trial may be different than the timing of your trial. But we come into seasons of trial. I know in the last couple of months I've talked a lot about trials. I'm not sure why it keeps popping up in my life, why it keeps popping up in this church. Some of you are going through some trials. You've shared with me. Maybe we're on the, on the crux of maybe just on the edge of maybe some real trials in our Christian faith and, and in our life. Maybe God's preparing us, reminding us that, that He loves us. He, we can have joy in our trials, and, and we need to consider it all joy when we face trials. And the testing of our faith is going to happen. A, a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted, we know that. So God's going to allow our faith to be tested. So what does that look like? Well, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So the testing of our faith is what, what helps us. It, 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 it brings about this, this uh, unquestioned belief that, that, that requires uh, proof. And we, we, we have a, a belief that, that requires proof. We, we can, I've got a belief in God, and I'm okay with 
proved that having to be proved. But as I go through the testing of my faith, I, I build endurance towards the testing of my faith and the process of walking through those tests. And it says here that it produces, that, that word produce is an agricultural term indicating a harvest or a yield of faith. It, it produces, it, there's a harvest of our faith that comes. So knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces endurance and patience. How many of you love patience? Well, you're praying for that every day, aren't you? God, give me patience. I, I've learned more patience, I believe, in the last couple of years than I've learned in all of my life together. That doesn't mean I'm through learning patience. But I'm grateful, honest to goodness, I'm grateful for what I've learned about patience. I used to be a very impatient person, and I'm learning to be more patient. I'm not sure that I'm there yet, but I'm learning to be more patient. And, and I believe the reason I'm, I, I guess if I give it to you in a practical way, what I'd have to say is this. Patience has come in my personal life by recognizing that God is capable and He's at work in my life. A lot of times I want to see the instant. I want to see it happen right now. And, and the longer I've had to walk and journey through certain areas of my life and times of my life, I've seen God in the end of those prove very faithful. So now it doesn't really rile me when I'm having, I say that, now something's going to happen tomorrow. But it doesn't seem to rile me so much when I'm waiting for something. I, I want it to happen now, and it's not happening right now. I, I seem to be, uh, y'all help me here, walk with life with me, and, and y'all let me know if I'm failing at this, but it, it seems that I'm getting more patient as I get older because I recognize God is faithful, and He always comes through in His time. And I've seen when I wanted something to happen at this time in my life, and it didn't. And it happened later in my life, and I'm like, oh, wow, now I see. Boy, if that had happened then, that wouldn't have worked out real good. But I'm really glad it happened now, in God's time. And, and I hope that we build more experiences like that so that we can, we can have patience, we can have endurance to run the race that God's called us to. And when I think about that endurance, I think about running the race, uh, nobody ever just strikes out one day to run a marathon without training. An athlete puts themselves under constant strain and pressure in, in all regards. I mean, you think about a, a person who is preparing for a, a football game or something like that. An athlete that's preparing for any kind of game like that, what they do is they put their body to a continual process of resistance. They, they face resistance. A, a weightlifter would, or a person who's working out in the gym getting ready to be a, a good lineman will, will put a lot of weight on a bar and, and do squats and and leg presses, and, and various strains, and various resistances on their body. And as they stand under that resistance longer, they gain more ability to endure that which lies ahead of them. And then when they go to the game, the field of play, they're able to resist with greater endurance that which lies before them. But we have to go through that process. And in our own personal lives, we, we will go through things that bring about endurance. We have to stand under the pressure. We have to hold up under the pressure so that we can count it all joy when we engage and encounter various trials because the testing of our faith produces endurance, is what James is telling us. And he's looking at these, writing to these. I'm sure he's in his mind. Hey, I'm writing to these 12 tribes that are dispersed. They've been under a lot of strain. They've experienced a, a whole lot of, of agony and heart-wrenching moments in their life, but the, what 
stood under, what they've, they've been, what, what they've been walking through in their life is going to test their faith. And, and as they stand under that testing and they, they produce endurance, they're going to be able to endure greater things in the future. God's preparing us. He, he's, not, he's not sitting idly saying, hey, I want you to just enjoy life. He's preparing us for something. And as we go through life, we approach times, I don't know what the future holds. I, I really don't know what this, this week, this month, this year, or this life holds for us. But I'm telling you, Scripture reveals to us things don't get better, things get worse. And there's a chance, there's a good chance in our lifetime as we continue to journey, we're going to see greater pressures, we're going to see greater testings of our faith, we're going to need greater endurance, we're going to need greater joy to be able to encounter that which is coming against us. There may be a time where you and I are pushed very hard about our faith. And James is preparing them. He's preparing us. There, there may be a, a real time in my life or your life where we have to decide whether we're going to stand for Jesus or whether we're going to just flee and hide out and be a closet Christian or if we're going to rise and stand and endure the pressure and gain patience under the various trials that will come our way for the glory of God. I don't know what your life's going to face tomorrow. I don't know what my life's going to face tomorrow. But I know who's going to face it with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Why would we ever forsake Him? We should stand firm in the faith of who we walk with and, and, and know that He is our Lord and Savior. And, and no matter what trial we're in, we can count it joy that we're in the trial. Because this trial's teaching me something. This trial's going to reveal to me God in, in a greater form. I'm going to understand the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the strength of God, the endurance of God. I'm going to understand the things of God, the character of God, way more when I go through the hard times than I ever will when I go through the easy times. So our life should almost be in the frame of bring it on kind of mode. You know what I mean? No, I, I know that's not normally how we respond, but, but we should be in that situation where we're like, okay, God's never going to allow me to have more on me than I can stand. He's going to protect me. I, I mean, I look at Job and I'm like, oh boy, he had a lot on him. I, I don't know of a man that could stand under that. But Job did. God carried Job through that. And what, did Job, what, what happened at the end of the book of Job? God gave him back everything with increase. Would you rather go through a situation and know God better and gain the increase? Or would you rather sit on the sidelines and never endure under pressure? What happens? Let endurance have its perfect, verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This endurance, this, this standing under the pressure, this, this patience that comes has a perfect result. And, and we can be mature. We can, we can have a, a, a new standard to stand. We can, we can rise to new heights. We can achieve greater things for the glory of God if we understand that endurance leads to something. It brings us to a place, place of completion. 
to where we lack nothing. That looks very, very, very similar to the text this morning when we were walking through 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. What did it say? It said that as we, we, we yield our lives to God and, and we live for Him, then we trust His Word, that it is God-inspired and, and it's breathed into us and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Uh, we, we can't be adequate and equipped for every good work if we haven't had the, the Word of God filter through our life and, and, and change us, show us what's good for doctrine, show us what's bad in this world, show us how to correct the bad in our life and, and, and show us how to stay in the righteousness of God. If we, if we don't understand those elements in our life, if we're not accepting that in our life, then we will not be complete. We will not be ready for the work that God's called us to. But James says, oh, come on now, guys. This is not going to be an easy journey. We're going to, we're going to have some pressures, and you need to count it all joy. And, and entertain, when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, so that we will lack in nothing, so that we will be prepared and ready. So we see the portrait of faith. And that, that's faith. That takes faith. I'm telling you, it takes great faith for us to face these kinds of trials in our life takes great faith in God. It's really hard for a young Christian to encounter various trials without the strength of others around them to see, hey, I've been through that, and, and, and this is how it worked out. You know, there's nothing that you're going through that some other brother or sister in Christ hasn't already gone through and experienced success. Success. And we can, we can live off of their success when we're, we're struggling. I'm telling you, when we're at the, the bottom of the barrel and we're like, oh, I'll never make it through this, we can look to someone who's made it through it and we can gain momentum. There's success. We're not alone. We have the body of Christ and we have God as our Lord. We're never alone. So now we see the portrait of faith and we see the portrait of a maturing Christian. Look with me at verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So how do, how do, we, how do we mature in our walk? We, we begin to recognize a maturing Christian understands they've got needs, and, and there's things that they're lacking. And, and it says here, he says, if, if, any of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, uh, is there, do you think there's people in this world that lack wisdom? Uh, let me just, just pause here and tell you there's two types of wisdom. We do understand that, right? There's two types of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom and there's a heavenly wisdom. And I'm very specific in my request for what kind of wisdom I want. I can gain all the worldly wisdom I need by picking up uh, articles or reading uh, encyclopedias or studying the Internet or, you know, finding... Uh, going to school and understanding things that man understands, but I'm telling you, that's limited. I, I'm good with wisdom of the things of the world, but I want wisdom from above. That's, that's the thing I desire most. And, and in, according to Scripture right here, it says, he must, that, that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So I, I'm not going to gain earthly wisdom from God. I want heavenly wisdom from God. He gives it to all generously. So God's... James tells us God will pour out wisdom on us generously. He's not going to give it to us liberally. He's going to give it to us generously without reproach. 
and it will be given to him. So we can ask of God for wisdom. I need God's wisdom. You need God's wisdom. We're going to face some stuff. And, and my wisdom may say, do this. But God may say, uh-uh, don't do that. I don't want man's wisdom. I don't want, my, I don't want, I don't want what I want. I don't want to go in the direction I want to go in. I want to go in the direction God wants me to go in. I want to know what He would want me to do. I want His wisdom. I, I've had my wisdom before and it didn't work out real good. You, you know what I'm talking about, church? So we can ask Him and He'll generously give us this wisdom. Generously. That's a maturing Christian. Unashamed to ask for wisdom. We need wisdom to triumph over our trials. Wisdom is very practical, divine, and Christ-like. So a maturing Christian not only asks for wisdom, but he asks in faith. It says in verse 6, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. So he must ask in faith. Now, a maturing Christian has faith in the one who he's calling on, that he is capable of giving him. And he doesn't doubt God will or will not give it. If he says he'll give it, he'll give it. So he says he'd give it generously to it, to us all, not, not holding back, not just giving it to us limitedly. He'll give it generously. So he's going to bring it to us if we'll ask for the wisdom. And, and so we need to ask in faith. And, and my, my prayer to God needs to be positioned in faith, knowing that, that God will give me what I'm asking for in wisdom. If I'm asking for wisdom from God, I, I'm going to get wisdom from God so I can ask in faith. But if I'm not asking in faith, if I ask doubting whether he's going to give it, man, I'm, I'm just like, uh, like I'm being driven and tossed about by the wind of the sea. You've seen how the wind can grab a hold of the water and, and just toss it back and forth. I don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person. We don't want to be tossed back. I believe. No, I don't believe. I believe. I don't believe. I believe. I don't believe. We don't want to be that person. We want to believe and know that because God has proven faithful throughout all the years of life, we want to know that when we ask of God, we can have faith. We don't have to doubt God's love for us. We don't have to doubt God's concern for us, God's understanding of what we're going through. He knows what we're going through. So when we ask Him for wisdom for our situation, we can have faith knowing that God's going to give us that. says, for that man, being the man who asked with doubt, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Doubting God won't yield much in your life. To the glory of God. We have to believe. Have faith that God will do what God said he'll do. I don't want to be a double-minded man. A double-minded man is a, a person who has an interest in many things and mindsets in different places. What God's calling us to is to have integrity in our faith, and, and this is a portrait of integrity. And a, a portrait of integrity, integrity would be single-mindedness. 
that we should have a, a single-minded approach, understanding that God will do what God says He'll do. We can't sit here and doubt God one minute and, and believe in God the next minute and, and doubt God the next minute and believe in God the next. We have a double mind when we do that. But if we have a single mind, then we understand God will do what God said He'll do. He is faithful. See, we can have a double mind in many areas of our life. You, you can have it in your business life. I, I've dealt with people that have double minds in their business life. They'll, they'll do one thing one way and, and, and do something another way. They'll have integrity in this moment and no integrity in that moment. Have you ever seen that? People, people re- respond in their business life with, like, like, just like all over the place. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's, it's downright heartbreaking to watch it play out. We should have a single mind. We should treat everybody the same. When we deal with business, it ought to be, our, our business as usual ought to be usual business, and we ought to have a single focus in the way we deal with people and deal with them in integrity. Our social life, a lot of times this is uh, where I see a lot of people fail and have double minds is uh, they act one way around one group and act another way around another group. You ever seen that? And they treat some people one way and treat other people another way? That's not godly. There's nothing godly about that. We don't have a single focus on that, single-mindedness about that. We don't treat everybody the same with grace and love and forgiveness and and, and be, be friends and, and friendly and loving to people, not not doing certain things or saying certain things to be in this group, but then saying entirely different things to be over here in this group, that's a double-minded person, unstable in all their ways. In other words, it's I can fit this mold if I need to or I can fit that mold. Which mold are you? You ever been there? I guess I can speak passionately about that because I've been there. You know, I could sit at Grandmama's table and talk one way and act one way, and then I could go sit and my friends at their house and I could talk a different way and act a different way. I think that, that's so foolish. I'm calling myself out because I did that before Christ. I, I convinced myself, though, of this. That was no profit in that. That I wanted to be the same man on Sunday that I was on Monday. The same man on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. No matter what, what arena I was in, I want to be the same man. Do I successfully do that every time? I don't believe I'm there 100%, but I am with all that's within me desiring to always be the same. I mean, I might, might change a little bit here and there, but I don't have a measurable move. And I don't want it either. I want to be the same in every situation. I don't treat every person the same. That should be the desire of every one of us in this room. We should always want to treat people the same, deal with people the same, whether it be business or personal life. We should always want to do that, social life, whatever. But even in our spiritual life, uh, as you are attempting to serve God while uh, compromising the world's standards, you can't do that. Either we live for Jesus and we stand for His standards or we don't. There are so many people in our world today that have a double standard. What, what, well, it ought to apply for you, but it doesn't apply for me. Or, you know, that, 
I want to do this over here with my life, even though God says I should do this. We, we form a double standard. When, when the Word of God says, Thus saith the Lord, and this is an abomination, we ought to accept that has not changed. Just because we want to live with a, a double standard, God's not going to do that. We need to live in a single-mindedness approach, not a double-mindedness approach. Nobody who's following Christ and heart after Christ should live with a double mind because that's unstable. So we see several portraits here. Lastly there, we see a portrait of integrity. We see where there was a, a portrait of a maturing Christian asking for wisdom. We see a portrait of faith where faith has some components to it. It, it has joy, trials, testing of our faith, and it has patience and endurance. And we also see the portrait of a servant where James says, I'm a bondservant of Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, does that portrait ring true of you? That you're a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ? That, that you're, you, you have a portrait of faith being displayed in your life where joy is, is constantly in there? You're enduring under the trials and the various trials of your life and the testing of your faith and you're desiring for that, that joy to always be consistent? Does, do you see the, the portrait of wisdom in your life where you're asking of God? For, for wisdom and, and you're growing in that, the maturing of that, the, the portrait of maturity? Do you see the, the portrait of wisdom, of integrity in there where you're living in a single focus and single-mindedness and not a doubly-minded person? I think it's a great place for us to start with, James, to look at our lives and see what kind of portrait are we painting, what kind of portrait are we displaying. James lays that out, that portrait of the bondservant, that portrait of faith, that portrait of maturing, and that portrait of integrity. I want those things to be said of me, and I want those things to be said of you. But we have to strive hard for that because the world would lead us into a totally different direction. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this night. Thank you, Lord, for what we learn in James, the, the portraits that are displayed here before us tonight. God, may our lives be a portrait in that manner. Lord, I, I want us all to be bondservants of yours. I want us all to, to live in faith, maturing in our faith, and having integrity in our lives. So God, help us to do that. Lord, watch over us as we go out the doors tonight. We step into a world that you love. Help us to be lovers of, of others and encouragers and and, Lord, be bold in our faith and stand firm in who we are. We're yours. Let us be that before all of our peers. Lord, don't let us live one way in this church and another way on the streets of this world. But God, help us to line the two together and be all that you've called us to be in every arena of life. Lead God and direct us, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good night. God bless you.